0: For Nick is going to be preaching from uh, the book of Proverbs. In fact, he fired off a question to me by way of text about two weeks ago because he saw the schedule and he saw that I was scheduled for anger slash self-control. And so his text was, which is it? And then I thought, what do you mean, which is it? Anger self-control. But as I dove into that, I'm like, oh, those are kind of two different things. In fact, Self-control is the gateway, or lack thereof, that allows for anger and a whole whole host of other sins. So we're going to talk about self-control this morning. Self-control is something that, as we talked about in our prayer meeting this morning, that the world does not hold in high esteem. In fact, it's almost a sin in the eyes of the world to be self-control. Because self-expression and self-freedom, now that's what's idolized. If it feels good, if you think it's right, you want to do this, identify as that, whatever, just do it. And yet it's not just the world that fights self-control, right? We do as well. So let me pray, and we'll dive in. You can open up your Bible to Proverbs 25, but also to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and the book of Proverbs. Father, thank you that we can gather this morning to open up the word of God, to worship our God, to greet each other in the name of the Lord. I know that the message today is something that I have great need for. And I'm sure that even under the sound of my voice, there's many other people who would say, I need this message as well. So would you cut and clean, heal and give hope through your word? I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Maybe I'll start off with a series of questions. Have you ever broken something in a fit of anger or a fit of rage? I've got a few artifacts of things that I've broken out of anger. Have you ever had too many helpings, too many drinks? Have you ever had a conversation that you look back upon later and say, I shouldn't have had that. That was full board gossip. You ever looked at something or someone you shouldn't have, or looked again? Have you ever said something rashly that you later deeply regret? In other words, have you ever said to yourself, "How in the world did I do that again?" Would you raise your hand if you're for any or all of those questions? Yeah, yeah. I would. Now, we're going to go over, in the next several weeks, some of these sins I just mentioned. But today, we're going to look at the gateway to those sins, or the lack thereof gateway to those sins. Namely, self-control. And so that's the title of this sermon. It's not really sexy or overwhelming, but it is needful. Self-control. I had to open up to Titus because I want you to see, just by way of introduction, how important it is for us to possess and to pursue as the people of God, self-control. I want to read Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, really without much comment. Paul says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He talks about older men. They're to be dignified, sober minded, dignified. Do you see the word now? Self control, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children to be. Here it is again, right? Self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. So there you see in Titus chapter 2, this is a quality that all of us are to possess and then pursue more of. And in fact, if you were to go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, You would find that self-control is one of the nine aspects right of the fruit of the spirit but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience am i getting it right kindness goodness gentleness faith and then self-control it's the ninth aspect of the fruit and perhaps the one that in fact allows the previous eight to ripen and to flourish in your lives so again i want to preach to you on self-control and this is how we're gonna get out of it. Number one, we're gonna see why self-control is so doggone important, it's important. And number two, well then, how do I pursue and grow and self-control? Now, here's a caveat. No magic formula here. You do this, boom, instantaneous self-control to the max. We're not talking about a magical formula, but we are talking about a pathway. And the goal in this life, we will not attain perfection, but are we attaining progress? This is a pathway to progress and self-control. So, number one, why is it so important? Proverbs twenty five twenty eight reads, as Pastor Nick just read it, A man, let's say a person, without self-control is like a city, broken into and left without walls in ancient times Cities had walls to protect from both foreign and domestic enemies from foreign invading armies into roving domestic bands of guerrillas who would want to destroy them Cities had walls without walls. a city was extremely vulnerable to be shut down commerce, and everything else in short Without walls, a city was open to danger, chaos, and ultimate destruction. Without walls, an ancient city. The uh, message—it's not a translation; it's a paraphrase. The message paraphrase puts it this way, and I think this helps us understand the gist of what's going on here. A person without self-control is like a house with its walls—or rather, with its uh, doors and windows—kicked in. How safe would you be at your house if your door was kicked in? If your windows were kicked in? Answer? You would be very safe. Now, I think here's the point. It's clear. Without self, this thing called self-control, a person is extremely vulnerable and susceptible to the slightest provocation and temptation. They are like... A city without walls, susceptible to destruction. Whether that temptation would be, as I just mentioned, a few, anger, or gluttony, or lust, or drunkenness, or greed. And we don't like to assign sin categories to these, but these can be too. Worry, anxiety, despair, all of that, without self-control, we can just wash ourselves in, just swim in. Yeah, yeah, this is really important stuff. Without self-control, somebody can somebody's buttons are easily pressed. Sometimes people say, well, you made me do that. No, nobody made you do that. I've said that before, but nobody makes you do anything. You do stuff because you lack self-control. You see, our our, our fallen nature, our bent towards that which is evil and wrong, is so easily activated and manipulated when we lack this thing called self-control. How about Saul?
1: Remember that guy?
0: Because he lacked self-control over his jealousy, this father literally tries to kill his son Jonathan in a fit of anger when he thrust the spear in his direction because he could not control his enemy. We all know the story of David because he lacked self-control in the area of lust. He committed two major sins: adultery and then murder to seek to cover his tracks. And then you have this man Samson, because he lacked self-control over his lust, that led him to, to to shame, to weakness, to blindness, and ultimately his death and the demise. Self-control is really important because it is the gateway. If you don't have it, to letting other sins flourish. I want to do one other thing under this point. I want us to read just a few surrounding verses in chapter 25. Because, again, self-control is a gateway to other sins. A lack of self-control. Look at verse 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue, angry looks. So there's backbiting and there's anger. Verse 24, it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife, here a nagging and angry wife. Look at verse 26, like a muddy spring or a polluted fountain is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. And here we see a a compromising man who won't stand for righteousness under pressure. You see that? And then look at verse 27. It is not good to eat much honey, nor is it glorious to seek one's own glory. And here it's talking about self-glory and talking about gluttony. I don't find it uh, accidental, then, that the last verse of this chapter is a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Self-control is indeed a gateway. So, gonna wrap up this first point by asking a question. Where... Is your lack of self-control leading you? That's a hard question to wrestle with, but we should all wrestle with that question. Where in my life is a lack of self-control contributing to the flourishing of other sins and the killing of the fruit of the Spirit? Is it complaining, impulsive words, unwise purchases, not being what you should be in the role that God has assigned you your life. Where is it? There's a famous quote in my end point one with this. It says, sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an action and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. And you sow a character, you reap a destiny. A man without self-control is like a city broken into without walls, susceptible and vulnerable to the least provocation and temptation. Point one. That's why it's important. Now, the longer point, second point, is how do I develop self-control? Again, not a magical formula, but a pathway for progress. There are three S's we're going to cover. They are a package deal, but because we are in time and space, we will look at sequentially. Understand it. the third point is by far the most important of all. First of all, we need to cultivate self-awareness. Self-awareness. Being aware of myself. Who is the number one troublemaker in your life? Who's the number one? Now, we're tempted to say, well, our boss, or a coworker, or a parent, or a spouse, or someone, right? Yes. Because we live in an age of entitlement and dictahood It's somebody else's fault. Mm-hmm. And you might be in a tough grind, a tough situation, but if you really want the best answer for who is the number one trouble-making in your life, next chance you have, go to the bathroom right now, because you really need to. <laughs> but when you go there, look in the mirror, and there, you will have your answer. The number one troublemaker in all of our lives is ourself. Yeah. That's why Paul says in Romans 7, he says, man, the things I want to do, I don't. And the things that I want to do, Did I get that right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. But you get, you... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just for the sake of record, let me see if I can. The things that I do want to do, I do Should not do, I do. That's what Paul says right here because of this this sin nature that he still has within him. Now, here's an enigmatic or a bit of a puzzling Proverbs, like a lot of them are, frankly. It goes like this Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. That's a bit enigmatic, but part of the idea, I think, there is uh, having a self-awareness of what's deep within you, knowing yourself, in other words, self-awareness. Ephesians 5.15 puts it plainly when it says, look carefully how you walk, not as the unwise, but the wise. Imagine you were at the Grand Canyon, I think Brian and Katie are at the Grand Canyon uh, for, the next, for this week, in a way. Just having some uh, good vacation together at a glorious uh, place on Earth, Grand Canyon, a mile oh. long and its widest and really deep. Imagine there was a narrow uh, bridge, suspension bridge of some sort across the Grand Canyon. With, with, no, with no uh no siding, no rail. How if you had to walk across that bridge, across the red Canyon, how would you walk? You might even. Well, I'd probably just be hugging you the whole time. Very circumspectly, as the old King James puts it. Very wisely, very carefully, because of the danger out there. But when we're talking about self-awareness, we're talking about being aware of the danger in here. In here. In here. Because who is our worst troublemaker? Ourselves so do you know your weaknesses and your tendencies do you have that self-awareness do you know things or places or situations that tend to trip you up it could be any number of things what are you wear, but maybe maybe you're, you're you're heading i don't know to the beach where people aren't dressed like they're on the street doesn't mean you shouldn't go there but maybe you you pray and some verse in your heart and just Tell yourself some truths before you go there so you don't give way to temptations. Or maybe, maybe for you, it would be a line of thinking that unchecked spirals down into despair and hopelessness. Are you aware of when you start to hit that spiral? How about maybe a quarrel with a spouse that just makes you less careful in certain areas? Are you self aware? Or are you on? We've all had that really weird sensation when you drive somewhere and you've driven you know a thousand times and you get there and you literally don't remember your drive like boom all of a sudden is that happening anybody like press the one here yeah. don't remember yeah. the drive well you know you've been straddling the other lines yeah. you were on autopilot and so often we're on we're on autopilot we're not self aware so i would just say first of all and this is not sequential this is a package deal but being self-aware not neurotically okay but in a healthy fashion being self-aware of your tendencies and temptations is i think really helpful in developing the art of self-control that leads to the secondary say no you're gonna have to learn I'm going to have to learn just to plain old say, this, to say plain old no, no. Now, not just say no like Nancy Reagan coined all those years ago. In other words, we're not talking about you know willpower religion. We're not talking about being spiritual DIYs, do yourself projects. We're not talking about that. That approach is called asceticism. Asceticism is the idea that you can achieve victory. You can say yes to things you should say yes to, and no to the things that you should say no to by the sheer determination and force of your raw willpower. And maybe adding a few laws to yourself. No, Paul, Paul actually warned about that. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, he warned about people who said, Hey, if you want to be holy, don't get married. And don't eat certain foods. When Paul says, hey, 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 wait a second. Those are actually gifts from God to be enjoyed in accordance with the word of God and prayer to God. He goes on to warn, in fact, that people who teach such things this asceticism, that that's rooted in the doctrines of demons and taught by people whose consciences are seared. Now, I want to give you one other passage that makes the point that we're not talking about just willpower. when are not telling you we need to learn to say no. Go to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, if you will. Colossians chapter 2. And what you'll find in Colossians chapter 2 is a strong word against this asceticism. Colossians chapter 2 verse 20 says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? I'm talking about madman regulations here. Hey, don't handle that. Hey, don't taste that. Hey, don't touch that. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Now, that might be a bit confusing, but I think verse 23 will make it clear. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, and here's the word, asceticism, and a severity to the body, but, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So when I say we need to have self-awareness and say, no, I'm not talking about asceticism. We're not talking about legalistic self-effort, but you know what we are talking about? Effort. We are talking about effort, which includes saying no. Have you not seen all through the book of Proverbs that there are good and right and true things that we need to say yes to? Yes. And bad and false and evil things that we need to say no to. There is an effort quotient in there. Do you, you remember in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes in church at Philippi and says, hey listen, just as you obeyed when I was in your presence, continue to do so when I'm not in your presence. And then he writes this, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What are you talking about, Paul? Paul is talking about obedience? He's talking about working out your salvation? That's effort stuff there, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he tells Timothy to train himself to godliness. Anybody trained in any realm whatsoever, whether it's music or fitness or computers or uh, medical stuff, any, any realm you train in, you have to learn that you're going to say yes to some things and no to other things. If you will excel and grow in the area you're training, so it is with our spirituality. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, he tells Timothy, Timothy flee." Say no, right? That's what he's saying. Say no to fornication. Remember, Joseph in Potiphar's house and his wife um, tries to seduce him, probably the attractive woman and all the rest. He doesn't say, you know what, I think I'll have a conversation about that. He flees. Why? Because he champions God's glory more than his immediate sexual gratification. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 9 verse 23 that if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, say no, right? Take up his cross and follow me. So we are going to have to learn to say no. There's self-awareness, there's saying no. These first two are vital, but this third one is absolutely crucial. That is, These efforts need to be Savior-centered. Nick read, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man turns to it and is safe. I already talked about ancient cities having walls around them. Perhaps they were a rectangle or a square. At each corner was a tower that was doubly fortified even higher and armed with soldiers so if the city was under siege not only did you have a wall to protect you but you might want to run into those doubly fortified towers for safety and security here he says the name of the lord is a strong tower. the righteous man turns to it and is safe so i would have to ask you what towers do i run to when i'm under siege right When I I feel like a button is getting pressed, when there's temptation, when there's provocation, where do I run? Jesus is our strong tower. He is the one that we are to run to. But then the question will be, what does that practically mean? We can say stuff like that, like, I need to run to Jesus, but how do I run to Jesus? And so, I want to give you an acronym. I want to give you five things that this, this could mean. Um, this is a topical message so you can probably add more things to this experience, looking at the scripture, coming up with this but I'm giving you an acronym, people who've been in the military tend to do that from time to time because it makes it portable And the acronym of what it means to be Savior centered and run to Jesus as we are self-aware and say no has five components each of which begins with the letter C-R-O-S-S cross I would say first of all we need to spend time contemplating what Jesus accomplished on the cross. This uh, verse we looked at, Proverbs 25, 28, talks about how a man uh, without self-control, like a city without walls broken down. Makes me think a little bit, I all this good exegesis, but it makes me think of Hebrews where it says, Jesus suffered outside the walls, right? He suffered outside the gates. And there on a hill called Calvary, there on Golgotha, there on Mount Calvary, he not only paid the penalty for our sins, but he also did this. He broke the dominance of sin over all we put the trust in. And I think as we meditate on that, it does something in our heart that empowers the same note where we need the same know. Charles Wesley put it this, this way in the song Over oh, a Thousand Tongues. It. I love this line. He breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. You know that song? Yeah. He breaks the power of canceled sin. And somebody once said it is so hard to have victory over sin that you do not believe has been forgiven. Yeah. So it begins with contemplating what Jesus did on the cross and just relishing it and ravishing it in our free justification at the cost of his blood and the there's an R and that is a reliance on the Holy Spirit when you put your faith in Jesus you were immediately indwelt by the Holy Spirit Ephesians 1:13 says in whom Jesus after you believed you were boom, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise in other words The Holy Spirit is a gospel gift. And as I intimated by way of introduction, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So you have the one who can fortify and give you strength to have self-control when you trust in Christ, that is the Holy Spirit. Now that doesn't mean that, you know,
1: you just say, Holy
0: Spirit, you have to do this. And you fall down and you flop around like a chicken. No, we still have a role, right? We, there still is effort on our parts. That's why it says in Galatians five, sixteen, you are to walk, to live, but he says walk by the Spirit. That's why it says in Galatians chapter five and verse twenty-five, we are to live and keep in step with who live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. That's why it says in Romans eight, thirteen that we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. And earlier in chapter 8, it says that we are to set our mind on the things of the Spirit. So here's the idea. So as we do what we ought to do, say yes to what we ought to say yes to, and say, and don't do what we're not supposed to do, say no what we're supposed to say no to, we do so and this is, the, you've got to develop this muscle this reflex with a willful intentional dependence on the spirit of him who works in us what we do and the will of his good pleasure there's a reliance on the Holy Spirit that's the R and then there's this, oh I had to kind of reconfigure this sentence so it might be a little awkward so I can keep it accurate forgive me for that but here's the idea only Jesus can deliver what you really long for because sin is a lie now you need to write this down I want to give you one of the deepest theological truths you could ever hear ready you do what you do because you want to do it right
1: why do we do what
0: we do because we want to. We do what we do because we want to. When we say yes to things we should not say yes to, and we say no to things we should not say no to, it's because we believe doing that or not doing that will make us feel better, right? And we really believe in the moment will make us feel better. And you know what? It does usually for a split second. We're hot minute, right? Before it brings more of the despair and pain that you were wanting to evade in the first place by doing it. And we do a lot of little tricks along the way to say it won't hurt, it's no big deal, no one will know, just one more time. But most of all, we do it because we think it will satisfy, that it will really scratch that edge. You can't bootstraps your way out of your own desires, right? You can't will your way out of what you want to do. Now, I want to tap into Greek and Roman mythology because I think it illustrates a biblical truth. I can't remember all the names of the gods and goddesses. so I'm just going to take the best way I know how, okay? There's a story about these uh, these creatures called Sirens. Not a Siren in here, but half bird, half woman. Who had beautiful, enchanting voices so much so they're on this island that when mariners would pass by on their ships they would be so lured by the enchanting their chanting voices and, and singing that they would get closer to the island and they would die and crash on the rocks just being destroyed in the waves. so one guy I, maybe some guy i don't know how to get i don't know all the details of the story says hey this is what we're going to do to keep this from happening when well, we get in proximity to that island i'm going to put earwax I'm, not, rather, I'm going to put uh, candle wax in the ears of, of, of my sailors and I'm going to lash them down to the mast. So even though they want to get a better sound, they just can't. Because they're lashed down, they can't hear it that well because of the beeswax. Candle wax. But this other guy says, no, no, this is what I'm going to do. He hires a, a harpist who strokes that harp so beautifully, so wonderfully, so exquisitely. That, that the sound of the sirens was nothing compared to the beautiful sound of the harp of the Lord. and they would go safely past that temptation because they were more satisfied by the music on board than the music out there. Now does that remind you of how the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good? In other words, this truth, that Jesus, as we're going to sing in just a few moments, is better. Jesus is better. Perhaps the, the test of true conversion is somewhere along the way you have authentically tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Now, we're not always tasting and seeing the Lord in every season of life, right? That's just, that's just the odds. But if you've been truly converted in C form, somewhere down in there, there is that view that Jesus is better because you tasted and seen the soul to be so. And you know that the power to say no is rooted in experiencing Jesus' battle. So you are determining that you're gonna get after him. That's why we harp on and talk about reading the Bible and having prayer, communing with the saints, attending worship and all of that, because those are the places where we, in a fresh way, taste and see that the Lord is good. In other words, we determine that I, I need I need to experience more of Christ because He really is better at anything than anything the world offers. You know, I put it this way: you seek communion with Him far beyond signing off on some doctrinal truths, because doctrinal truths won't win in that moment of provocation. Knowing that Jesus is better will rooted in those doctrinal truths. That's the L. I got two others, and then we're going to celebrate. Here's an S. Share your struggles with us. When God saves you, He doesn't save you in a asylum by yourself. He doesn't save you to kind of make up your own Christianity, your own Christian community, and all this stuff that people do so often. He puts you in a family. So we call each other brothers and sisters because that's what the scripture calls us. We have a common father, a common elder brother, and we're brothers and sisters. Now, In a physical family, what is it like when a member of that family separates themselves from the rest of the family, either physically or just sometimes emotionally? What's that? How healthy is it? Not very healthy. You're cutting yourself off from the love, the resources, and all that. Your physical family will provide you. How much more in the family of God? People battle so many things because they want to swim in and go at it we cannot we, listen, Galatians 6.2 says we are to bear one with burdens, right? I'm so glad for people in my life who can bear my burdens, but I don't think I can bear them anymore. Now, that's hard to do. One is, well, we might be kind of fearful of what they will think of me, right? Like I'm gonna lose some face when you struggle with that or you're going through that. In other words, this this fear of man that can get in the way, right? Sharing of things. Or let's just be honest: we know once I cross that line and share with them that burden, it's going to be harder for me to give into that burden because I know they're going to ask me about it. That's true, that right? I don't know. I still want that eject button for when I really, you know, need whatever. Yeah. But there's so much grace that helps me do it. The writer of Hebrews warns us. He says, "Take care of others." Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But he says, instead, exhort one another as long as it is called today that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Do you have people around you that, that they exhort you, who know you, that you share your burdens with? And finally, and fifth of all, supplication. Just a fancy way of saying prayer. Like, I got to work with this right? cross, right? Cross last passage I would like you to turn to is Hebrews chapter 4, because I want you to see the gospel logic of this all. The gospel logic of this all. Hebrews chapter 4. Such a powerful truth. I'm just going to read uh, the last few verses of the chapter. And then two comments. Verses 14 to 5 Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our profession what's he saying when jesus rose from the dead he proved he is who he said he is god could do what he said he would do take away this into all the belief that the check cleared it's talking about his resurrection and his ascension to the father's right hand he is proved that he is jesus the son of god a great But it's not like he's up there and he doesn't know what life is like down here with all of our struggles and difficulties and patience. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, of course, yet without sin. So here's the so what. So, or let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive Mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, because Jesus is risen and ruling and reigning and he knows what it's like to walk in this world, we are appealed to come to this throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. So, what does that mean? We need to make a bee for the throne all the time. Pray ahead of time for self-control when you think a challenge might be coming. In that moment of provocation, of temptation, of challenging, pray. Quiet prayers, right as you're in the midst of it. You ever heard somebody say, I prayed for God to fill in the blank, take away so-and-so stuff, and he didn't. So, I guess prayer doesn't work. Well, maybe, as someone said, we should continue to pray that, but maybe the Lord would want us to pray, Lord, no matter how I feel, no matter how, what I want, may I choose the pathway of obedience just as the Lord Jesus Christ did who despised the shame endured in the cross for the joy that was set. Cross. Contemplate what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Relying on the Holy Spirit. Understand only Jesus can, can, can meet the deepest, Needs a lot, but sins a lot. To share those struggles with others and to spend much time in prayer and This is we come. Father. I thank you for how your Scripture speaks to us right where we're at. Because there's not a person here who does not struggle in some area with self-control that then feeds and fuels and allows to flourish. Things that are not pleasing to you or healthy to us? Would your spirit remind us of the gift that we have in him through receiving Christ and of these truths that we've looked at this morning? And would you give us the Holy Spirit-fueled courage to share our struggles with others, appropriately and judiciously, of course, but to do so. Um, And Lord, would you then build in us, not as a snap of our fingers, a magical formula, but pathway to true progress and self-control by applying these truths. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We are going to take communion now, Pastor Nick, we'll have a basket of the elements of learning, as you can see. I invite you to come and uh, if you are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, is you've, you've repented of your sins uh, and you're in him and you're seeking to walk with him. Not like, you know, i prayed a prayer a long time ago, but I really don't have any interest in God. You wouldn't be a Christian You might pray a prayer, but you really are. And, 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 and you love him and you're following him. This is for you. And you say, well, I have, I have shaken so much in the area of self-control. Join the club. Join the club. But this is why we there's such grace in remembering His sacrifice because you will not have victory over any sin that you don't believe has already been covered by the blood of Christ, and it has. And when you receive this one who shed His blood, you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive throne rights. So be reminded that through that a Savior-centered emphasis, you can have a, a godly self-awareness, and you can say no as you look to Him. Come grab the elements. Hold on to them until uh, everyone's got that.